Hey everyone, Mundo here. If you would like to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash crimeandcourtusa. What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Crime and Court USA. I'm recording this on October 20th, 2021. I'm your host, Mundo Carrillo. I hope you guys are doing well. Me, I'm doing all right, I guess. You know what happened to me the other day? I got my mustache stuck in a beer can. <laughs> like, you know, like my hair got stuck in like the part, like the tab part that you kind of that you kind of flip over to, to pop it open. I was taking a sip and it got stuck in that for like a while. Not a while, but like probably around a minute because <laughs> I had to like kind of wiggle it loose. So I don't have to, I don't want to just yank it and pull out a bunch of hair. That would have, would have been terrible, more terrible than the situation that I was already in. So I didn't want to do that. Uh, I finally got my mustache out. Wow. That's a story for you. Please. I want to know if any of my other mustache having brethren have ever got their mustache stuck in a beer can. Please let me know. I hope there's someone out there who has done that. I don't want to be the only one. No way. Reach out to me and my mustache brothers. (laughs) Anyways, I am very excited about today's episode because I finally get to talk about a case I did a lot of reporting on here in northern New Mexico. So um, let's just get right into it, shall we? The last defendant in the torture and death of 13-year-old Jeremiah Valencia was recently sentenced to 21 years in prison for not doing anything to stop the horrific abuse that the boy endured. Life for Jeremiah was absolute hell when he was living in the small town of Nambed, New Mexico, which is just north of Santa Fe, New Mexico. He was forced to live in a dog kennel with no food and water and was forced to wear an adult diaper. He was poked with a homemade spear, had a hammer dropped on his hands, and was so badly beaten in that household that he needed a cane to walk. And even Jeremiah's younger sister was forced to take part in the abuse. She was forced to torture him as well. The mastermind behind this torture was 42-year-old Thomas Ferguson, a man with a long criminal history of beating women and other family members. Ferguson was dating Jeremiah's mother, Tracy Ann Pena, who herself had a long criminal history, has a long criminal history. Jeremiah died in November 2017 when Jordan Nunez, Ferguson's 19-year-old son, who was also living in the household with uh, Tracy, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's younger sister, as well as Ferguson. They say he flipped the dog kennel, which seemingly caused Jeremiah to break his neck. Ferguson then forced Nunez and Pena to help dispose of the body. They stuffed Jeremiah's body in a plastic container and buried it off the highway not far from where they lived. Jeremiah's body was eventually dug up by police in late January of 2018, so about two months after he died, after Pena, who was being held at the Santa Fe County Jail in a separate case, told another inmate about Jeremiah's death. Ferguson hanged himself in the Santa Fe County Jail in April 2018, so obviously the charges against him were dropped. Pena was sentenced to 12 years in prison in November 2018 after pleading guilty to one count of child abuse resulting in death and is currently serving that sentence. And finally, on Friday, October 15th, Nunez was sentenced to 21 years in prison for his role in the case and finally bringing this case to a close, at least as far as the courts are concerned. Now, this case just includes so many mistakes by people in the criminal justice system here in New Mexico. This guy, Ferguson, I have no doubt in my mind, there just is no doubt, I think in anyone's mind, once you hear this, the, the details of this, that he should have been in prison 
before Jeremiah died. Jeremiah Valencia should still be alive. He was killed by, you know, again, Ferguson was the mastermind behind it. He was, he was abusing everyone in that household. But Jeremiah was the only one living in a dog cage and wearing a diaper and being tortured and all that. So he was, he was killed by Ferguson. His death, well, he was killed by Nunez, apparently, but all because of Ferguson. And, you know, so, so Thomas Ferguson is responsible for the death, but it just could have been stopped if people in the New Mexico justice system had done their job, if the system had worked for Jeremiah Valencia and he would still be alive. All right, so let's go over the timeline of events here. So back in the fall of 2017, the family, if you want to call them that, a very dysfunctional family, moved from Las Vegas, New Mexico to Nomben, New Mexico, which again is just north of Santa Fe. Pena had told school officials in Las Vegas that she was going to enroll the children in Santa Fe, but she never did. At that household, young Jeremiah endured a horrific abuse. On top of the things I mentioned earlier, he was also shocked with a dog collar, uh, Ferguson would urinate on him for no reason, not that there is a reason to urinate on somebody, but just, just senseless, senseless stuff. And he, it seems like Ferguson would just beat him to a pulp. Every new document, every new court document I looked at just seemed to include some new form of torture. I mean, uh, it, was, it was really hard to keep track of all the ways that Jeremiah was tortured. And as I said before, Ferguson was abusive to everyone in the household. He put padlocks on the doors, and he wouldn't let anyone leave. Jeremiah's younger sister, who was about a year younger, I will not name her to protect her identity because she is still a teenager. She said at a court hearing when this was all playing out that Ferguson would hit her as well and would force her to poke Jeremiah with the homemade spear. On November 24th, 2017, Ferguson and Pena were at a Walmart in Santa Fe when an officer recognized Pena for having an arrest warrant for failing to appear in court and took her into custody. Ferguson was let go, even though he was wanted on a probation violation at the time, and also had an expired driver's license. The officer, who's named Jacob Martinez, the guy who, uh, the officer who arrested Pena, he didn't ask her if she had children that she was caring for, even though Santa Fe Police Department policy requires that they do so. If they're arresting somebody, they have to ask if they have children they're caring for so that they can be sure that those children are, are being taken care of. And on top of all that, on top of him not even asking, Officer Martinez wrote in his police report that Pena had no children. So he didn't ask her about it, and he just wrote that she didn't have children, even though you could see in the video, uh, the police video from the incident or from the from the arrest that, um, that she mentions her daughter. She doesn't mention Jeremiah, which is very, I mean, that's telling. Obviously, he was, you know, he was basically treated like an animal anyways, not like a human being. But she does, she mentions her daughter, like, out loud. And, like, this guy, this officer writes that she doesn't have children. And again, Martinez and another officer, Heinz DeLuca, let Ferguson just drive away on an expired driver's license. And if they had done a background check like they were supposed to, right, they're, they're also supposed to check, make sure the people that are being left with the children are good. They would have found that he had a lengthy criminal history that, uh... Maybe it would raise some red flags. Maybe it would tell them that, hey, maybe this guy shouldn't be caring for children. <laughs> now, you, you can't make this kind of stuff up. At that time, Ferguson had an arrest warrant for absconding from probation from a 2014 case where he kept a woman in his home for several days while beating and sexually assaulting her. But when this all went down, this was actually Black Friday. So it was over the Thanksgiving weekend. So that warrant wasn't filed. Um, it, it was filed just before the weekend, the long weekend, I think. So, And it didn't make its way into the police database. So yeah, that's crazy. If it was just a regular Friday instead of Black Friday, these officers probably would have known that Ferguson also had a warrant and that he needed to be taken into custody. 
And this is so sad because two days after that, Jeremiah is killed when Nunez, again, the 19-year-old son of Thomas Ferguson, flips the dog kettle. Jeremiah's sister testified in court at a hearing that she was there and she saw it. And her testimony made it sound like Jeremiah broke his neck when he did that. Pena got out of jail two days after that and found Jeremiah dead in his room. She was in jail just real quick. She had a long, she was booked 22 times total in the Santa Fe County Jail, and most of it was just for like failing to pay fines, failing to show up to court, little things like that that'll get you locked up for a few days. So she was in jail for about four days, and she goes home, she finds Jeremiah dead in his room. Ferguson then forces her and Nunez to help dispose of the body, and according to Nunez, Ferguson even held a sawed-off shotgun to his head to make sure that he had complied. And since Jeremiah, or his sister for that matter, were not enrolled in school at this time, no one even knew they were missing. They just completely slipped through the cracks. On January 2018, Pena and Ferguson were arrested by, guess who? Officer Jacob Martinez with the Santa Fe Police Department. He just recognized that they had warrants because every morning, I think they get told, they get an email on who has warrants and stuff. And, you know, it's just Santa Fe's not a big town. Officers recognize people, I'm sure. Now, while in jail, Pena tells another inmate there that Jeremiah was killed. And then that woman, of course, goes and tells the authorities about it. And finally, with Pena's help, Santa Fe County deputies dig up Jeremiah's body on January 28th, 2018, about two months after he had died. After that, Ferguson, Pena, and Nunez were all charged with multiple counts of child abuse in that death. An autopsy later revealed that Jeremiah died from blunt force trauma. He had multiple jaw fractures, a displaced eyeball, a broken hand, broken ribs, and other, several other injuries. Ferguson hanged himself at the Santa Fe County Jail in 2018. And when that happened, prosecutors then pinned the death on Nunez. Before that, they were really putting it all on Ferguson because he was, well, he was the one, he was like the mastermind. He was the one controlling everybody. But with obviously with, with him dead and no one to go after, really, they kind of had to pin it on Nunez. And either way, I mean, based on the girl's testimony, it did seem like Nunez dealt the killing blow. So, so there it is. They kind of changed their focus there. In November 2018, Tracy Ann Pena pleaded guilty to one count of child abuse, resulting in death and got a 12-year prison sentence. Now, I went to a lot of court hearings in this case throughout the course of 2018. I can't really remember which ones were which. If I, I'm going to start mentioning court hearings, I don't remember what exactly they were for. But anyways, at these hearings with Tracy, she just seemed like she was inconvenienced about it. Like, ugh, like, why do I have to be here? She didn't really show any remorse at all, as far as I could tell. Like, again, she just seemed like she, it was an inconvenience for her to have to deal with court and stuff like that. But during her sentencing hearing, I do remember her crying when the judge was asking her if she understood her plea deal, as the judge does. Anytime a plea deal is accepted, he asks the defendant if she understand if if they understand like what they're agreeing to. And uh, this is the one time that I saw her actually crying and uh, showing some kind of remorse. Prosecutors said that she was a victim of Ferguson's abuse and was not an active participant in the torture. And she also cooperated with prosecutors, and that got her a favorable plea deal. In March 2020, Nunez pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 21 years in prison just this last week. He was also the subject of Ferguson's abuse going back to when he was an infant as well. So like I said, every, just everybody in this household, guilty or not, of horrible crimes was somehow under Ferguson's thumb. Now, as I said before, there were several mishaps, several mishaps that led to Ferguson being a free man when he no doubt should have been in prison. So let's go over those now. In February 2014, Ferguson kept a woman, a woman he was dating, 
in his house for five days in Santa Fe and beat her and sexually assaulted her. She said in court, uh, at, a, at a court hearing that I was at for this Jeremiah case, that she was beat beyond recognition and that she was just praying to God, praying that she would be able to get out of the situation. She was able to finally call her mother and then the mother was able to call police and Ferguson was taken into custody after a SWAT standoff and he was taken in the hospital because during the standoff, it looks like he uh, tried to overdose on prescription pills. In 2015, he was sentenced to seven years in prison for pleading guilty to that incident, but it was suspended by a judge and he was put on probation. So basically you're free, but the terms of your probation are, there are several terms, mostly don't commit any other crimes, don't do anything stupid, basically, (laughs) you know? But if you violate the terms of your probation, that means bye-bye, you serve your full prison sentence. So Ferguson got this sweet deal because the victim later went to police and changed her story. And something like that could be used to discredit her if the case went to trial, right? If she's on the witness stand and the defense attorney's like, hey, you told police one thing one time and then another thing another time, that's a little consistent, don't you think? And then that gets into the jury's mind and that's the kind of stuff that leads to acquittals and mistrials and all that kind of stuff. So the prosecutors in this case, they told me that instead of risking that, they just want to get a guilty plea. So they offered him a good deal, got that guilty plea, put him on probation. Bada bing, bada boom. You got to stay clean or else you go to prison. Remember that. The woman did speak at a hearing during the whole Jeremiah case. And she said that she changed her story because she believed Ferguson would make good on his, on his promises to hurt her and her family. That's another thing about Ferguson too, going through his criminal record. He would, would beat these women and tell them that if you go to the police, I will hurt you and your family. Like no one's safe. So, you know, he really had these these poor women believing that. All right. So again, that's 2015. Not allowed to commit any more crimes during his probation term. So flash forward to February of 2016, when he is charged with beating another girlfriend in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. And this is where the ball really gets dropped. Now from here, it's up to the district attorney's office in Santa Fe to file a motion to revoke Ferguson's probation and send him back to prison. In other words, file a document saying, hey, he violated the terms of his probation, so he needs to serve out his prison sentence. And the judge could say, all right, either you're right or you're not, blah, blah, blah. If you're right, bang, back to prison for you. And charges moved forward in Rio Rancho, which is a different district than Santa Fe. So it was handled by a different uh, DA's office. Charges did go forward in Rio Rancho and Ferguson eventually pleaded guilty to domestic battery. A guilty plea while you're on probation? That's a slam dunk, right? I mean, look, hey, hey, hey your honor. Um, he, he did in fact commit a new crime because look, he pleaded guilty to it. Send him back to prison, please. But that didn't happen. Instead, the effort to lock him up in Santa Fe came to an end when Santa Fe assistant district attorney, her name was Natalie Perry, she told the judge that the charges weren't moving forward in Rio Rancho, even though they clearly did. So of course, when I was working on all these stories, I called Natalie, Miss Perry, to ask her about that. And she told me that the prosecutors in Rio Rancho told her that the case wasn't moving forward. In fact, she didn't even know that he pleaded guilty to that crime in Rio Rancho until I told her about it. So she was, she was shocked to hear that. And I, I tried to get a hold of the prosecutors in Rio Rancho to get their side. I just couldn't track them down. We had to run the story. So that's, um, you know, I, I couldn't get their side of the story, unfortunately. You know, so when you have a story, you got to publish it. You can't just wait forever. But I would still like to get their side of it. Either way, Ferguson was allowed to stay on probation, even though he pleaded guilty to another crime and, uh, yeah, remained a free man. 
Let's go to July 2017, when officers from the State Probation and Parole Department went to Ferguson's Naaban house because he was considered an absconder from probation because he stopped showing up for meetings. But the officers didn't knock on the door because there were large pit bulls in the yard and they just they never went back. And I never got a firm confirmation from the State Corrections Department that officers kept looking for him. They're obviously supposed to keep looking like, you know, they know he's absconded from probation, which is another probation violation, which is another reason to send him back to prison. But from what I can tell, honestly, you guys, it, I don't think they kept looking for him. They just like stopped looking for him. Anyways, in August 2017, the uh, probation and parole department files a probation violation report with the court. And that should get the DA's office in Santa Fe to file another motion to revoke Ferguson's probation. And once again, send him back to the joint. But the DA's office in Santa Fe didn't file that motion until November 2017, three months later. When I asked then DA Marco Serna why it took so long, he said, I wish I had an answer for that. He told me that it just fell through the cracks. Again, an arrest warrant was eventually granted in late November, but... <laughs> It was uh, issued over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, which finally leads us to the incident at Walmart where the officers didn't ask whether Pena had kids, but wrote that she did not either way in the police report. Now, Pena obviously had her issues. She was a drug addict and was booked 22 times. And at one point, she actually tried to get her mother to adopt her children. She, she filed something in the court, you know, saying that she was causing too much destruction in their lives, but that didn't pan out and she did keep custody of the two kids. And this is really, <laughs> I, I got to say something that really bugged me. Uh, I was in a court hearing one time and they played a jail phone call between her and Ferguson. I forget who, I think she was in jail and Ferguson was out. And Ferguson says something about Jeremiah liking it in the ass. And then Pena just laughs, you know, like she didn't say, hey, don't say that about my son, motherfucker. Like, you know, she just, she just laughs at that. Like she did nothing to defend and, and protect her children. Although I, I do acknowledge that she definitely seemed like she was a victim. Like who wouldn't be? It seems like any, any woman this man encountered was a victim of domestic violence. But she still, that's her children. She still could have done something. And when she got picked up on Black Friday and she was being taken to the, uh, the jail by the officer, she could have said something then like, hey, this guy has my son in a fucking cage. Go rescue him, please. <laughs> like she didn't say anything. And when she got out, Jeremiah was dead already. So there's another instance where he just could have been saved. And that's just kind of the thing about this story. The sad and tragic thing about this story is that Jeremiah's life could have been saved several times over. If the district attorneys would have done their jobs, if probation and parole would have done their jobs, if the Santa Fe police officer would have done his job, if so many people would have done their jobs, then he would he would still be alive that's why i say like he there's no doubt that he would still in my mind that he would still be alive and you know the real sad part about this too is that there seems to be no accountability for all those mistakes it was uh you know at the da's office it was like whoops my bad you know but the, the da doesn't get you know reprimanded or you know nothing happens to those guys same with probation and parole it's like whoopsie doodle <laughs> you know like no, no one faced any consequences for really dropping the ball in this one and it's really unfortunate i mean just reporting on it brings attention to it and that's good but i mean nothing nothing really happened the state legislature did pass a law that basically gives every kid some kind of like individual id number in the public education system so that way they don't fall through the cracks the way jeremiah and his sister did which by the way the sister she got put into foster care immediately after all that after they were charged at jeremiah's debt so i'm not sure what's a going on with her now but hopefully she's in good hands but yeah just no one was held accountable for this really 
And uh, personally, this case was was big for me. It, it really shaped me as a reporter. It was really the first time that I did some real hardcore like investigative work. I was just kind of, before this, I mean, it was my job. I worked for a daily newspaper for the Albuquerque Journal where I did all this reporting. And, you know, it's a daily newspaper, so I was doing a lot of dailies and, and stuff. But this is the first case where I really like hit it hard with, with some like really good investigative stuff. So... And I'll, always, I'll just always remember this case. I mean, I'll never forget the name, Jeremiah Valencia. I remember I was in another court hearing, you know, and um, the thing about being a crime reporter and just kind of having a job where you deal with just really sad and tragic stuff, it just, I mean, every death is a tragedy, every untimely death, but uh, you, you almost kind of become numb to it, like another dead person, like another another thing to write about for the day, you know, whatever. And this case was always tragic because it dealt, and this is the most horrific case I've probably ever, ever had to deal with. But um, yeah, I, I was in a court hearing one time and they played a phone call between Tracy, who was in jail, of course, <laughs> and Jeremiah. And Tr- Tracy was like yelling at Jeremiah for not listening to somebody. I think it may have been Thomas Ferguson. And of course, you know, the, the irony of her, she's in jail because she, she has no responsibility. Yeah, she's yelling at her son about responsibility. And she's yelling at him, and I just, you know, he's responding like, yeah, yeah, okay. And just hearing his voice like that for the first time, again, this was always super tragic, but I never really put a voice to the face that I was seeing. And when I heard his voice finally, it like really humanized him, and it, it kind of brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> you know, it just, it made me really sad, especially knowing that his life could have been saved. Again, I'm not going to put all the blame on these law enforcement officials or these, these court, these prosecutors and stuff. It, it was Thomas Ferguson that, that is responsible for his death, but just if the system would have worked, man, if it just would have worked, he'd still be alive. <laughs> all right. Wow. That was a doozy. That is about all for this week, guys. Please share the podcast with your friends. Share with the enemy. Share it around, man. Still trying to grow the audience right now. That's kind of the goal. We're still a young little little baby podcast. So right now, just it's all about grow, grow, grow. And it has been growing, by the way. October has been a good month for the podcast. So I appreciate everybody who has listened and who, uh, is, who is listening now to this part. You made it all the way to the end. <laughs> Congratulations. Check out the pages on Facebook. Check it out on Twitter. Check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash USA. Throw me a few bucks a month if you can. It would definitely help. All right, until next time, guys, my name is Mundo, and I'm out. Peace.